Man, what a, a beautiful chance just to worship together. Uh, I love those words of scripture. It's such a gift to know that the Lord is with us in the midst of adversity, in the midst of hardships. Uh, he is with us. And as, as the psalmist said, uh, those who have experienced the salvation of the Lord, we, we speak about the greatness of our God. Uh, well, I recently read about a pastor who brought up 10 people from his congregation onto his stage. Uh, and he assigned each of them a, a specific role to play on an imaginary fire truck. Okay, so imagine this playing out on stage. Uh, one person was the driver, another controlled the siren, another person turned that weird steering wheel thing at the back that no one really knows what it does. Uh, and after he got them in place, he asked each of them, now what's your purpose again? And the one in the front said, well, I, I drive the truck. And the other said, I, I control the siren. And the other guy said, I don't know what I do. I'm just along for the ride. Uh, but after each of them described what they thought their role was, the pastor said to them, I'm sorry, but you're all wrong. Your purpose, every one of you, is to put out fires. Now, friends, as Christians... Our purpose is to follow Jesus. And for any real unity to exist, we have to hold to a common purpose. And this is true in relationships, it's true in the workplace, it's true in so much of our life. But if we are going to be united, we have to share a common purpose. And I'm in no way pointing fingers at anyone here, but I want you to be aware of some alternative purposes that I've come across in years of ministry. Uh, I heard on a podcast recently that there's a growing number of people in my age bracket who have completely exited the church, but for the majority of their 20s and 30s, they were okay with that. And as they started to have kids, they realized that their kids were missing out on some of those great experiences they knew when they grew up in the church, when they were young. So they've begun considering, reconsidering church attendance almost as a form of nostalgia. Uh, others all across the dem demographic spectrum, they've realized, especially post-COVID, how important connection and relationships are. So they've begun attending church for community. Some embrace religion as a way of pursuing mental health, and, and still others attend out of a sense of guilt, trying to please family members or friends. Um, but friends, once again, I want to remind you that none of these are our purpose for gathering as a church. Our purpose is to follow Jesus. Now, much like driving the truck and manning the siren are parts, they're elements that contribute to the purpose of putting out fires. Those alternative reasons, uh, they may be byproducts, but they are not the purpose. And if you pursue them as if they are your purpose, it could be catastrophic. Now imagine a team of people in a rowboat. They're, they're heading from one shore to a specific point on the opposite shore. Their purpose is to reach that goal, right? To reach that point. Well, what happens when not everyone is rowing in the same direction? You know, if everyone rows haphazardly, they will make no progress at all. They'll just all be paddling and going nowhere. If one or two people are rowing in the complete opposite direction of the goal, 
it may slow down progress, but eventually they'll make it to the point, right? But what about when there are people in the boat who have their eyes set slightly askew of the target? You know, their eyes and their paddles, they'll end up leading the entire boat off course and potentially preventing them from reaching the destination. Now today, we are continuing our series, The Gospel According to Luke. And we're going to see the first actions taken in the early church. And I want you to be mindful of the role that purpose and unity plays here. Last week, if you remember, Jesus ascended to heaven in our text. But Jesus, before he left, he commanded the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit. So let's pick up back in Acts chapter 1. We'll be in verse 12. If you would go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's some available in the seats in front of you. And you can find our text in those white and orange Bibles on page 619. Uh, let me just say, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love to give you that as a gift. Uh, we believe that's one of the greatest gifts we could give you as a church. But let's go ahead and begin reading Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, right away in our text, these disciples obey. They go back to Jerusalem which is only about three-quarters of a mile away from the Mount of Olives. And they gather again in that upper room, and they begin praying. Now, can you imagine all that this group has experienced over the past few weeks? Like, really, for the past few years, uh, these men and women, they've had their lives turned upside down in the best way possible uh, because of Jesus. Individuals who had been slaves of sin, slaves of the judgment of man, slaves of demons even, now totally set free in Jesus. And after being set free, they followed Jesus. But being free didn't mean that they were free of difficulties or challenges. In their following of Jesus, they faced torrential storms, they faced persecution from both their own people and from the Roman powers. They faced uncertainty in the days surrounding the crucifixion. And here, after they've seen hope come alive, when they witnessed Jesus' resurrection, they saw his ascension, they joined together, united in prayer. Now there's, there's something so powerful about praying with others. It, it aligns our hearts. It creates a mutual bond. In, in fact, there was a, a secular study that was released in 2020 discussing even the health benefits of prayer. Now, that study, it showed that prayer can help reduce stress. It can reduce loneliness and fear. And if you can, think back to those early days of COVID when so many were feeling isolated and depressed 
the team that I served with at the time, we would do lots of things to, to try to serve one another and stay connected. We, we did drive-by birthday parades. We uh, did a ton of Zoom meetings just to, to stay connected. We found opportunities where we could serve one another, uh, even though we were physically separated. But honestly, the most important thing that we did was simply praying with one another, praying over one another, whether it was in a text or a phone call or a Zoom meeting, prayer is what united us. Now, prayer is also what united the early church as well. And in their unity, we see some pretty unique developments going on. As verse 14 tells us, this unity, it, it included the women and Jesus' mother and brothers, and this is no small thing, because in the Jewish world, even in some synagogues still today, there's a stark division between the men and the women in worship. They erect a wall that separates the two genders in the worship space. But here, in the first days of the church, the men and women, they're side by side, united in prayer. And on top of that, up to this point, Jesus' family hadn't understood or believed that he was the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, but as Jesus made his post-resurrection appearances, his family couldn't deny that Jesus once was dead, but is now alive. And they cast their former doubts aside. They joined in with the other disciples. And this is a total aside, but I would have loved to hear those first prayers from Jesus' siblings. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, hey, bro, I, I mean, God, uh, really sorry I didn't believe you before. <laughs> Please don't hold it against me when I pranked you when we were kids. Like, you know, but, but once again, these disciples, including his family, they were all united in prayer. They had a, a common purpose to follow Jesus. And they joined together in their pursuit of him. And it, it didn't matter if they believed from the beginning or if they doubted until the living proof was right in front of them. They came together as one united group in one corporate action. But this isn't the only way that the early church was united. They were also united in their condemnation. Let's continue reading Acts 1, 15 through 20. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called Hekeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position." Now, coming from their union in prayer, the early church took their second step to be united in condemnation. They needed to make a declaration 
trusting in God's plan and decrying the evil and the backstabbing that they had experienced at the hands of Judas. And I would imagine after trust had been broken in this group, that there were thoughts surfacing in the backs of people's minds, wondering, is there another Judas among us? Can I, can I trust these people? Or is someone here who's going to turn us into the, the Jewish or the Roman leaders? And, and in times of fear like that, it's so important that the group is able to trust one another. Otherwise, doubts will creep in. Otherwise, there won't be a spirit of trust and openness. Otherwise, the group will not be able to carry out their purpose. And I've experienced this on, on several occasions. Like, I've, I've served in positions where trust had been broken. And sometimes from expectations not being met, trust was broken. Sometimes by moral failures. And, and I can speak from firsthand knowledge how important it is to speak against the evils and the failures that have taken place. You give the darkness a name, not just making something up to act as a scapegoat, but to actually let people know that we're not hiding the failures of the past and we're moving forward in trust and unity together. And my kids, they're, they're really into Harry Potter right now. <laughs> and there's this big bad guy named Voldemort and most people are so afraid of him that they don't even say his name. But Harry's headmaster tells him, call him Voldemort, Harry. Always use the proper name for things. Fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. And that's what I think Peter is doing here. He's calling Judas' betrayal what it is. It's sin. And in doing so... He's giving the early church an opportunity to solidify and become united around their condemnation. But do you see how he goes about making this condemnation? It's not just a, Judas hurt someone I care about, or Judas didn't believe the same things that I did, so we all need to condemn what he did. No, instead, Peter anchors his condemnation in Scripture. He points to two different psalms. Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, to show that God is in control and that Judas' betrayal is worthy of condemnation. Now, as I'm sure you know, our world is so divided these days, even within the church. There are groups who, who claim that one thing is a sin and another isn't. There are groups who say that anyone who associates with sinners must also be condemned. There are groups that say, if, if you believe this thing or follow that person, then we cannot be united. And let me be clear, there are some things where we have to have clear dividing lines. But instead of just drawing dividing lines around personal preferences, I'm convinced that we need to first declare what we unite around. And for overflow, we are going to be anchored in Scripture. We call sin, sin. But we're going to do it, not from personal preference or vendetta, not from individual opinions. We're going to rely on what Scripture has said. And because of this, we're also going to believe that redemption is possible. Now, as Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 
after he lays out this massive list of sins and moral failures, Paul tells the church, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You see, we're going to call all forms of sexual immorality sin, whether it's sex outside of marriage or if it's homosexuality or if it's trying to overwrite your God-given gender or if it's sexual abuse. And at the same time, we believe that Jesus can bring forgiveness and restoration to all. We're going to call abortion murder. And just as Jesus did, we're also going to call hatred murder. And once again, we're going to believe that forgiveness and restoration are possible. Now for Judas, obviously his action of suicide didn't allow for restoration. But the church must believe and work for redemption of all, no matter how heinous the sin, because such were some of us. We've experienced transformation. We've experienced forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus can do that work in everyone. Now, let me just speak to Judas' case. Sometimes I get the question, is suicide an unforgivable sin? And let me be clear here. Suicide is terrible. It's heartbreaking on every level. It is sin. But someone who takes their own life is not automatically condemned to hell. Jesus' blood covers all of our sins, past, present, and future. So anyone who places their trust in him is forgiven and free, even if our last decision is a sinful one. If they've been covered by Jesus' blood, no action can remove that covering. And it's important for us to be united in both prayer and condemnation, but we also need to be united in our action. Uh, let's look today at our last few verses, Acts 1, verses 21 through 26. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection." So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take, place, take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles." Now, Peter concluded his speech to condemn the actions of Judas with a call to action. And sometimes this is where groups fall short. This is where we forget to go after we bring condemnation. And we're quick to unite in our condemnation, but sometimes we don't do anything productive with it. We don't do anything beneficial with it. And Peter, he specifically calls the church to appoint someone to fill Judas' spot as an apostle. And many today wonder, like, why did they need to fill this spot? Was it necessary? And, and some even ask the question if this was the right action to take. Like, 
if you read through the rest of scripture, we don't ever hear about anything that Matthias has done after this point. After he's appointed to the role, we hear nothing more about him. So did they get it wrong? And maybe they were supposed to wait and really appoint Paul as the next apostle. And let me just briefly say that first, we don't know. And it's not our place to say whether or not this was what God wanted them to do. But personally, this seems to be a decision that they made seeking discernment. Uh, and remember the, the act of casting lots here. It may seem odd to us, but they didn't yet have the Holy Spirit. And this was a common practice in those days. In fact, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So the action that they took seems to be one of discernment. It's not just a, a random decision. And on top of that, there is significance with the number 12 throughout Scripture. Primarily in the Old Testament where there were the 12 sons of Jacob, which became the 12 tribes of the nation. And in, in many ways, when Jesus called the 12 disciples, he was ushering in a new era of his plan of redemption. And here, those 12, they believe that it was necessary to maintain that number of 12, 12 who were set apart by Jesus. So the church, it was united in action. They prayerfully sought out the Lord's guidance and they moved forward. They appointed Matthias to the role in one of their first actions of unity. And we have so many opportunities for action at Overflow. Uh, we will not become a church that turns inward and ignores the hurts of the world around us. And obviously, we can't do everything, so we move prayerfully and strategically. Uh, there are things that we won't participate in as a church that are good and beneficial things. And in fact, this week, I was presented with an opportunity that is a, a good and beneficial thing. It makes an impact across the world. And I'm praying about whether or not this is something that we should pursue because it, it would require us to make a lesser impact in our local community. So as we do in all things, and like Peter and the disciples modeled for us, we pray and we move forward in action, seeking again to live out our purpose of following Jesus. And if you're looking for ways to be united in action, let me just share a, a few opportunities here at Overflow of ways that you can unite with us in action. Uh, you can pursue a gospel conversation, which is simply telling others what Jesus has done in your life. So tell a, a friend, a coworker, a family member what Jesus has done in your life and invite them to experience the same transformation you have in him. You can join an overflow group, which are our small groups where we study the word together and seek to apply it to our lives. Uh, you can help at the ministry fair this Wednesday or sign up to give blood next week or maybe your action is simply following Jesus for salvation or in baptism. And I would love to share more about any of these opportunities for action if you have questions or are looking on how you can get involved. But today, let me close with these two simple questions. And I want you to ask this question both of yourself and of Overflow Church. Uh, the first question is, what are we united in? What is the thing that brings us together? Are we actually uniting around our purpose of following Jesus? 
And if that's unclear to you, or if you find that there's something else that we're uniting around, here's the second necessary question. What needs to change? As we saw the early church model this, I'm going to ask you just to take a few moments in prayer as you consider these questions. And then I hope that as we leave this place today, we will be strengthened together and truly be a church united. So let's just quietly seek the Lord now, and I'll close in prayer in a few moments. But consider those two questions prayerfully. What are we united in, and what needs to change? Let's pray. writes in Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. God, I thank you that you are the great uniter. You bring us together as people who have experienced a similar story. We've all been broken and separated from you in our sin. And you sent Jesus to bring redemption, to bring forgiveness, to bring new life. And Lord, for all who place our trust in him, you make us new. You make us alive. And I thank you for that. I pray that we would unite in prayer, that we would be a people who constantly seek you and we join together, letting nothing separate us. Lord, I pray that we would also be a people who stand firm on what your word reveals, calling sin, sin, and showing hope and redemption to all. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us take steps of action moving forward, that we would be your ambassadors, that we would be disciples and disciple makers, and that we would live missional lives to show the world around us that you are the God who saves. We pray that today would be a a day of encouragement and hope. And we pray that we would leave this place with a greater resolve and hunger to see your church reflecting you and reflecting your mission to the community you've placed us in. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen.